0: I'm doing well, Pam. I'm really, really looking forward to today's episode.
1: Yeah, you know, we talk about a lot of different topics on this um, podcast. You know, we talk about the emotional, the mental, the physical side effects of treatment. But one subject we haven't talked about is financial stress um, for our cancer survivors.
0: Yeah, you know, that's one of the ones that when we first started going through the process of coming up with topics for this podcast, I mean, that was at the forefront wasn't it
1: it was you know but who do you get to talk to um who wants to talk about finances and the cost of treatment it's tricky it is but i'm really excited about our guest. we have um, the ceo of triage cancer joanna morales how are you today good thank you for having me
0: yeah jo- thank you for joining us a- in
1: tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at triage cancer So I am the CEO of Triage Cancer,
2: and I'm a cancer rights attorney by training. So I have spent the better part of my legal career teaching people how to navigate systems after a cancer diagnosis. And those legal issues are typically not what people think of as legal issues, like accessing medical care and picking a health insurance plan and using your insurance coverage. But then there are also things like, dealing with workplace issues and being able to stay at work or take time off, accessing disability benefits, state planning issues, and then all of the financial issues that come along with some of those issues as well.
1: So for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about Triage Cancer? Sure.
2: Triage Cancer is a national nonprofit organization that provides education on all of the legal and practical things that come up after a cancer diagnosis. And we do that through providing free events, both in-person and online. And then we also provide free educational materials and resources.
0: You know, Pam, this is one of those ones where, yet again, we have found an expert to bring the information to our listeners.
1: We, I think she probably knows a little bit about what we're going <laughs> to discuss
0: today. I think so. It's probably right in her wheelhouse, you know, and that's that's the best thing. It's not someone that might have dabbled a little bit here and there. We're going straight to the expert. So, you know, Joanna, if you could, let's just talk about this broad, big, huge umbrella of financial toxicity. and And would you kind of enlighten our listeners a little bit about what that means and what that looks like?
2: Sure. So the term financial toxicity was actually um, founded, so to speak, by some researchers from Duke in 2013. And they used it to describe not just the financial impact of a cancer diagnosis, but also how that financial impact has a physical, emotional, psychological impact on patients and really has an impact on uh, their health physical and mental health and also their quality of life. But even though that term is relatively a new term, it's really not a new problem. So I first started working in a cancer center about 27 years ago and the issues were still the same. So figuring out how to pay for treatment, navigating insurance coverage, those are the same issues that people have been having to deal with for decades. Uh, it's just that now we have some more research that shows the financial impact of a cancer diagnosis and how toxic it really is for patients and their families.
0: Money seems to be one of those discussion problem issue things, right, That that is far reaching, like you just said, both of financial stress, emotional, mental, physical. I mean, I know I can relate, you know, uh, Pam, we were talking just a bit ago about being when first married and having bills and all of these things and how stressful it was. Like, what are we going to do? And how are we going to make this payment? And how are we going to eat? And how are we going to make that? And I cannot imagine the compoundedness, if that's even the right way of explaining it, for someone while they're going through treatment to have to feel this stress. Yeah. It is just, it's unbelievable. So I, there is a couple of statistics that I, I have seen before and I went back and found them. And it, it, I remember this absolutely blew my mind. The very first time I saw this statistic, Pam, I think you and I talked about this. This was several years ago about how likely someone who has cancer is to file for bankruptcy. And um, the statistic is that says cancer patients are more, more than twice as likely to declare bankruptcy as those without a cancer diagnosis. And I'm assuming, uh, Joanna, that's some some of the areas that you've worked in with some of the clients you've seen.
2: Absolutely. But it also shows that, that that statistic, if you do file bankruptcy while dealing with a cancer diagnosis, you're actually more likely to die. And so that ties how the financial impact um, is more than just financial impact. It really has an impact on health as
0: well. Yeah. Oh.
1: So who is impacted by the financial toxicity? It's actually everyone.
2: So I would say, you know, unless you're Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, some of the richest people on the planet, you know, you're having to deal with the financial impact of the cancer diagnosis in some way. Now, obviously, some people are more resourced than others, but Even if you have a good job and you have a savings account and you feel like you're kind of financially on top of things, a cancer diagnosis can easily put you in a tailspin. Uh, And so if you're having to take time off work and you're losing access to income and you don't know what your options are, and then on top of that, you might have inadequate health insurance coverage and high out-of-pocket costs, those things start to compound pretty quickly. Uh, And so, and I think, you know, we're in a time right now where we're coming out of a pandemic. And so that really highlighted just how fragile the middle class, so to speak, is when it comes to health crises. uh, And how if, you know, you pull the rug out from under people in terms of employment, how easy it is to, to exponentially feel that financial burden.
1: Right. You know, I know going through COVID, um, I can't imagine adding the stress of just being able to go to have access to the doctors to get treatment. It's just another added stress for them. Absolutely.
0: Well, and what's scary too, Pam, is that, you know, some of our, our survivors are in long-term therapies. And mm-hmm. so this financial stress is not over when you're done with your chemo and you're done with your radiation. It is a continual financial toxicity and financial stress.
1: Right, and I imagine some of them are, okay, do I f- get food to eat for my family, or do I pay for my medicine that I need for my treatment?
0: Right. Um, there, there was a study that w- that we found, too, uh, and I think, Joanna, you've, you've seen this more than likely, uh, that was done by Livestrong um, back in uh, 2011, and it talked about, um, of the cancer survivors that they surveyed, and some of these statistics are just—it's mind blowing. Thirty-four um, percent had to borrow money or go into debt to pay for their therapy. Of course, you know, no one has hundreds of that, as you said, unless you're Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. You don't have just have this surplus of money sitting around waiting for something like this. Forty percent had to make financial sacrifices to pay for their treatment. Um, hundred and forty-four filed for bankruptcy. And it said 52% said they owed $10,000 or more. And I would imagine that more is the bigger piece rather than $10,000. Wouldn't you agree? Definitely.
2: When you think about how many treatments there are that are maybe $10,000 per month and for someone who is on a six-month course of treatment or for someone who has advanced cancer and is going to be on that treatment for the rest of their lives, that adds up
0: pretty quickly. Yeah. You, can you can you share with our listeners maybe someone maybe someone who's listening is just in the beginning stages of their treatment. You know, what factors really contribute to this? Is there something that they can be watching for or maybe something they can help along the way?
2: Sure. So part of the reason it's it's hard to solve as a problem is that there are a lot of contributors and factors that contribute to financial toxicity. And so we think that the primary contributor is actually having inadequate health insurance coverage. And by that, I mean health insurance coverage that doesn't cover your treatment and has very high out-of-pocket costs. And so we can teach people about how to actually pick a health insurance plan that works for them, but getting health insurance and having the right plan for you is actually just the first step. Consumers need to know how to use their health insurance effectively so that they're not racking up extra costs, like making sure they go to in-network providers and not giving up when an insurance company says no and appealing those denials of coverage. Um, But there are lots of consumer protections that people need to know about so that they can navigate the system. But there are also things that are not related to the cost of medical care. Things like understanding your ability to stay at work if you want or need to, your ability to take time off and not lose your job, what financial resources are out there like disability insurance or uh, even unemployment for some people. And then there are things that are just life changes that have an impact on someone's financial situation but having the right information can help you navigate those life changes like moving or um getting married or divorced those things can also impact your financial situation
1: i know when it comes to picking insurance is um a headache i guess you could say um do i pick this plan or do i pick this plan and when Ron comes around every year it's a stressful time so those uh, um where do they look for resources to help them when determining health insurance
2: well because triage cancer feels so strongly that having adequate health insurance coverage is the number one way we can mitigate financial toxicity We actually have an endless number of resources, depending on someone's specific situation, helping them figure out what type of health insurance coverage they might have as an option, and then how to actually make comparisons between those different options. So for someone who's losing their employer-sponsored coverage, what are their options at that point? And then how do they make those comparisons? So we do have everything from Um, longer educational resources on our website cancerfinances.org to animated videos on how to pick a health insurance plan that are five minutes long, but give people the key information that they need to make those educated choices.
1: And this is just another free resource for our patients.
2: Yes, everything that we do and offer at Triage Cancer is free. We kind of like that.
0: (laughs) kind of fits in with us, kind of everything that that we do as well. You know, I I just want to hit that again, cancerfinances.org, cancerfinances.org, write it down, pull over, make a note. If you're listening to it while you're driving, cancerfinances.org, and it's free. You know, people don't, you're right. People don't know how to pick an insurance plan and they think, well, I'm going to take this one because it seems okay. Or, I don't, I haven't been sick and I haven't, I don't need this. And it, it's gosh, the insurance is expensive. I'm going to take the cheapest one. Or like you said, God forbid, they lose their employer sponsored insurance. And now they're having to go out into the marketplace and locate insurance on their own. And that is not an easy thing to navigate.
2: Exactly. We say all the time that there should be a class in high school on health insurance, because it's one of those things that everybody needs But no one ever explains to us how you actually pick a plan or what your options are or how to be an educated consumer. And I also joke that, you know, we we use Google to answer everything for us. But if you plug in health insurance into Google, you'll get back a billion results. So (laughs) it is not a resource to tell you what your health insurance options are.
0: No, Uh, not at all. And I, Joanna, I can speak to that right off the bat. So my son is 20. Uh, has his first real job he's a fireman for um, a rural community here outside of Amarillo and I sat down with him to help him go through his paperwork as his hiring on and it came time to choose insurance and they offer about seven different plans and um, I said well you just look at this and tell me which one you think is the one you would choose and he's like "I, I don't have a clue and I tried to explain to him what it meant, and this is what a deductible is, and this is how much your copay is, and da-da-da, this plan is different, and so forth. And he said, why in the world didn't they teach me this in high school instead of algebra? <laughs>
2: <laughs> totally. It would be sometimes a lot more useful for
0: people. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And you know, I, Pam, we've talked about this, too, several times. We are all one phone call away from potential financial devastation and um, even though we have good insurance. Yes. Um, You know, some of the, one of the things too, I think you mentioned was, you know, the, the fact of maybe your insurance denies coverage or denies a certain medicine or denies this. And if you don't know any different, you think, well, that's it. Right. And that's not it. There are appeals.
2: Yes. And actually this is one of my soapbox issues because I've always felt like it's, it's one of the ways that our system sort of takes advantage of people not knowing what their rights are. Um, But now there is recent data that makes me even more um, upset about the fact that people don't know what their rights are, because for people that have private health insurance coverage, meaning you get it as an individual from an insurance company or the marketplace, or you get it through your employer, if your insurance company denies coverage for a treatment or a procedure or prescription drugs, you don't have to take no for an answer. If your healthcare team has recommended that care, there's a reason for that. And so if your insurance company says, no, we're not gonna pay for it, you can appeal inside the insurance company, but if they still say no, you now get to go outside the insurance company to an external medical review. And that right was made a federal right under the Affordable Care Act, But to give you some perspective on how people go through this process, the people that actually do file external appeals on average across the country, 50% of the time they win their appeal and their insurance company has to pay for their treatment. And so in that circumstance, the data on whether or not people file appeals, in 2019, there were 40 million claims that were denied 0.2% were appealed. And that's not even external appeals. That's the first level of internal appeals. So when you think about 50% of the time they're being overturned and insurance companies are getting it wrong, you think about 40 million claims, that's about 20 million claims estimated that the insurance company should have paid for, which means that 20 million claims are people who either didn't get the care that was recommended to them by their healthcare team because they couldn't afford to pay for it out of pocket, or they paid for it out of pocket. So, when we're talking about financial toxicity, this is a huge contributor of where patients are footing the bill for something that their insurance coverage actually should have paid for.
1: You know, I understand that soapbox. It would just um, break my heart whenever patients would come back and see the physician and say, Well, my prescription. Um, Insurance didn't cover my medication, but I had to pay out so much um, out of pocket. And it just broke my heart because it was like they didn't know either one they could call or we could change the medication. So patients need to really um, be proactive, advocate for yourself.
2: Absolutely. It's unfortunate because it's one more thing that we're asking patients to do And, you know, to navigate a complicated system. But if patients do pursue appeals, they're much more likely to get access to the care that they need.
1: How many hoops can they go through before they get it paid for?
0: Exactly. Yeah. Pam, I think it's one of those things where this would be a great opportunity for someone to um, take a friend who is willing to help them and, and willing to do these things I know there are things that your friend or your spouse or loved one or whoever it is can't do on your behalf, because again, it's, it's your insurance, but I know that they could help them jump through some of those hoops and they could help stay on top of that. Um, It's one of those things where I feel like, you know, when you've got someone in your corner, maybe that's a good person to help say, do you, do you understand all the things around insurance and, and navigating this? And I want you to be my kind of my lead on that. Mm -hmm. and and self-advocating.
2: Definitely a great idea to ask patients or for patients to ask family members and friends to help. I think also it's important to know that um, healthcare teams can be a huge resource because the healthcare team obviously had a reason for prescribing a particular drug or treatment or procedure. And so they have the medical evidence as to why that particular care is medically necessary, and that's key to helping someone get through the appeals process. So we always recommend patients talk to their healthcare team if their care is being denied.
1: And I'm sure a social worker could help in that process as well. Absolutely.
0: One of the things, Pam, I remember from our days in the past of working at one of the cancer centers here in town is uh, how much drug assistance was done uh, by by one individual, one caring, loving, dedicated individual in that pharmacy that helped make sure that uh, when a patient was given a certain type of drug that's maybe extremely expensive, you know, type thing that they they actually got a large amount of drug assistance for them. So, you know, if you're listening to, that's another option to see if there's availability for any, any pharmaceutical assistance from that manufacturer, because They do, believe it or not, they do help in a lot of instances.
2: We work with a lot of pharmaceutical companies and they often tell us that their patient assistance programs are underutilized. So they have the resources there to help, but patients have to ask for the help.
1: And it's sometimes, you know, I know Ron and I, Ron, we talked about this, you know, you don't know you need those resources until you need them.
0: Yeah, you need them. That's right. Yeah. That's right.
1: So, this,
2: this reminds and why me. would you- Go ahead. Why would you need to access, like you wouldn't know that those resources exist until you're in a moment where you need those resources. And so if someone isn't connecting you to the resources, you won't know they're there. Right.
0: And at that point, you've got bigger fish to fry in the moment of trying to get, you know, uh, your treatment taken care of. This reminds me of when I was in college and I hear people all the time talk about how many scholarships go unused and no one applies for scholarships. Um, and it, it's a, it's a, so. If you're listening, relate it to that. It's the same thing. Pharmaceutical companies make a lot of money, and um, they do great work, and they make fantastic life-saving drugs, and they have a bi- available budgets for patient assistance. Tap into that. Take advantage of it. Um, don't take no for the answer. <laughs> you know, that is, that is, that is that. I mean, right, Joanna? That's 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 a key takeaway from that little piece right there, right?
2: Absolutely, and it's not, it doesn't just apply to health insurance, it also applies if you're applying for disability insurance benefits or if you're trying to navigate work in cancer, if your employer is just saying no, it's important for you to understand what your rights are and what your options are so that you can get access to what you need.
0: Well, I tell you, um, it's so many times we as, as humans, right? You take the first answer as the gospel. Well, they're in charge. And again, it goes back, Pam, to one of our early, early episodes of you as a patient are the consumer. You really are in charge. And if you don't feel that way, you need to find a way to feel empowered to say, I am in charge.
1: But it also goes back to the episode about communicating with your health care healthcare team and letting them know, yes. hey, you can't pay for this. Give me a different option.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh One of the things too, you you mentioned, Joanna, talking about um, work and um, centered around, you know, gosh, I need this insurance. I I need to go to work. I need this insurance. I need uh, a paycheck uh, to to do this. And you talked about having rights uh, within the workplace. And I know some of those those rights are gonna be adjustments and things like that, that you may ask for. Can you walk through some of that with our our listeners as to maybe how it's important for them if they do need to stay at work work and they're able to work, uh, what that looks like?
2: Absolutely, so under the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is a state fair employment law, it protects people from discrimination at work based on their medical condition, but it also gives people access to reasonable accommodations, and reasonable accommodations can be anything that can help someone stay at work and do their job or to return to work. It can also be a way to take time off work. And many people are really unfamiliar with how the ADA can help someone take time off work as a reasonable accommodation. So we, this is also one of our soapbox issues. We think the ADA is one of the most useful tools for someone diagnosed with cancer to deal with the workplace. Uh, But most people aren't aware, and a lot of times we hear in the cancer community, well, oh, I don't have a disability, I have a cancer diagnosis, so that doesn't apply to me. But it's important to realize that the law defines disability in lots of different ways, depending on what law or program we're talking about, and it can protect individuals who have been diagnosed with cancer, And so we do have a lot of resources to help people figure out how to use accommodations to stay at work or to take time off work.
1: So are the laws different in different states? That's a great
2: question. So the ADA is federal law, but most states, in fact, every state except Alabama and Arkansas actually have a state fair employment law that is very similar to the ADA, And the ADA applies to private employers with 15 or more employees. So if you work for a smaller employer, you actually aren't protected by the ADA. But the state fair employment laws are different in every state and they can often cover those smaller employers. So anywhere from one to 15 employees. And so that's why it's important not just to know what's available to you at the federal level, because sometimes it's the state-level laws that are the only protections available to you, and sometimes the state laws are even more protective than the federal law. And so knowing what all of your rights are is really key to this process.
1: Is there like a, a manual out there for our <laughs> listeners? <laughs> <laughs> no. There, there is, things. actually. So
2: <laughs> on, because there are so many differences across states, we actually have a chart of state laws on our website and those charts cover employment issues like taking time off work and paid sick leave, uh, health insurance options, uh, disability benefits, estate planning laws, and so we tried to pull into one place all of the key information that we think people need to know about what's available to them based on where they live.
0: Wow, Pam, this could be this could be really one of the. I'm not going to detract from our previous episodes, because they're all fantastic. I know I'm not biased in the least way, (laughs) but this episode right now could have the most impact as far as providing a significant resource for folks that could be life-changing.
1: Oh, yeah. Joanne, is there like some examples, simple accommodations at work that maybe a survivor listening could ask for? Just...
2: Yeah. So we often kind of talk about accommodations that are most relevant to someone going through a cancer diagnosis in three different buckets. So the first bucket is about workspace. So maybe it's about working from a different office location because it's closer to your home and you have a less commute, or maybe it's a quieter location. Um, telecommuting could be a potential reasonable accommodation and certainly the pandemic has made everybody see how they can adjust their job uh, to work from home or many people anyway. And then the second bucket is about schedule. So maybe it's about working different hours or getting additional breaks during the day or even taking extended time off from work. Uh, And then the last bucket is sort of a catch-all for lots of other random things, like maybe it's using technology. So for patients who are experiencing uh, neuropathy, but their job is to type on the computer all day, maybe it's using speak type software uh, to be able to do their job. Or it could also be um, shifting job responsibilities that aren't essential functions of a job so if you're a receptionist and your job is to answer the phones and greet people when they walk in and calendar appointments, but somewhere along the way you got assigned to changing the water cooler bottle, but now you can't lift the water cooler bottle anymore, that assignment can be shifted to somebody else. And I think we all have that line on our job description that says other duties as assigned and we sort of pick up lots of things we're responsible for but aren't really core to our job. And those are things that can be shifted away. And then it could also be a change in a workplace policy. So if there is a policy that says your employees are not allowed to wear head coverings, but the patient wants to be able to wear a hat or a scarf asking for an exception to that rule could be a potential accommodation. So really, I would encourage people to think as broadly as possible about accommodations because the law actually says any change and rarely is the law that broad. So it means everything's on the table as long as it's reasonable, right? So it still has to be an accommodation that's reasonable based on someone's job responsibilities. So the truck driver probably can't telecommute the truck driving job yeah there might be some other things that might be available but it still has to be reasonable based on job responsibilities
0: well and here again it's one of those situations where uh, if you don't ask you're certainly not going to get and you cannot expect you guys listening to us today you cannot expect your employer to just go well they would do that for me if they could If they don't know that that's something that could be a benefit to you, you know, um, they're not going to know that to make that accommodation. And so again, it goes back to being your own self-advocate, you know, whether that is you need to, you need to come in an hour later or two hours later, because, you know, the morning times are the worst times after you get your chemo, or you need to leave early for chemo, uh, whatever that case may be, you know, you can make those, those, um, Uh, hours up, or you can work with your employer. I mean, I'm hoping, I know as an employer, I know Pam, that we would be very accommodative to help someone going through this situation, because you want to keep your good employees.
2: Right. That's very true. I think we often hear from patients that they feel like they're asking for a favor from their employer, but that's actually why this law exists you actually have the right to a reasonable accommodation if you're eligible for protection. And so an employer can't just say no. They have to provide an effective, reasonable accommodation. And I think, again, you know, if people don't ask, then they are potentially putting themselves in a position where their performance will start to suffer because they're struggling through side effects at work. And employers can absolutely make decisions based on poor performance. If someone hasn't asked for a reasonable accommodation,
0: and the employer may have no idea that exactly the neuropathy in your hand from your chemo is affecting your work, and it may be you know I love that example you used. It may be as simple as providing uh, you know a microphone of some sort to be able to voice dictate rather than typing. And, and in this day and age, we all know how much easier it is to voice dictate. <laughs> you know you know tell siri to do something and and do you know all those kinds of things so it's so simple and easy and 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 if they don't know they're not going to make a change and they're going to like you just said they may assume your your job you know your, your your work ethic is 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 lacking and that would be terrible terrible to have happen
2: very
0: what other resources do you guys have joanna
2: so, we also have a lot of information around managing finances. So, things like how you actually manage your medical bills. Uh, we have animated videos that talk about how you strategize once you get a medical bill and making sure that it's actually correct before you pay it. Up to 80% of medical bills actually have errors in them. So, you might be thinking you're responsible for them and then paying them. But if no, if you're not checking, then you might be paying for something you don't need to. So we actually. Yeah.
0: yeah, Hang on. Let's stop for a second. Pam's doing the same thing I am. I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. You said 80% of medical bills have errors on them.
2: It's up to 80% because the data has ranged over studies uh, so Medicare bills often have or 40% is sort of a data point that has suggested there's errors, but it's a human process. So if someone types one of something and they've hit one twice, all of a sudden you're paying for 11 of that thing. And if you have a complicated bill like you've gone in for surgery, you might be getting bills from the hospital, from the surgeon, you know, from different departments. And sorting through that is complicated. And take some time, but if you don't pay attention and actually you know, wait for your explanation of benefits from your insurance company and compare it to those bills, you could be paying for things that you are not responsible for. And I I've personally had that experience where I went in for an annual checkup and then I got a bill from my doctor for over $1,000 and it kind of gave me a little heart attack. And then I paused for a minute and I thought, wait a minute, this was a preventative visit. It should be covered at 100% under the Affordable Care Act. And so I like paused literally and waited for the EOB to come. And sure enough, it was covered at 100%. And then the provider sent another bill saying it was paid up in full. So if I had just paid that original bill, then I'd be running after my provider trying to get that money back. Um, but I think that's a pretty common example of how, you know, those pieces of paper might arrive in the mail at different times and not in the right order, and that patients need to be understanding their bills, waiting for those EOBs from the insurance company and making sure they're right. And we know that that's easier said than done. So we actually have a partnership with a company called Copatient, which is a, ma- a medical bill management uh, company, and they're providing their services for free for a year for patients who sign up with them through us um, by the end of June. So that they actually look at the bills, they make sure they're correct, they uh, appeal things that need to be appealed, and they actually advocate with providers to help patients work out payment plans. Wow.
1: I also saw on your website that you have a program called Adulting 101. What is that?
2: We do. So we have a monthly webinar series. Um, In some months, we have multiple webinars. But we did have a webinar called Adulting 101. And it really covers some of the things that we think should be taught in high school but aren't. Mm But the things that we all need to do as adults, like understanding our credit score and budgeting and how we can rebuild credit if we've had a financial crisis, like a serious medical condition, uh, but also things like figuring out if you qualify for life insurance and filling out those key estate planning documents, um, things like wills and advanced directives and financial powers of attorney. and When we talk to younger patients, a lot of them say, well, oh, I don't have a lot of money or I don't really need these documents. And really everyone over the age of 18 does. Uh, And it's important to kind of think about it from the perspective of what would you want to have happen to your stuff? And now we have much more stuff than physical stuff. So we have email and electronic books and music and those files. Um, that could be really valuable, even if they're just pictures, but they have a huge sentimental value. And so understanding, how are you going to pass those off to? And how is that going to happen? Because every company has a different role for how to do that. So those really practical daily life things that frankly apply to all of us um, are things that we talk about in that webinar.
0: Yeah, I just made a note, Pam, Uh, I'm going to pass that one on to, uh, some family members very close <laughs> who could utilize that very Maybe
1: very to go watch that
0: i know i know including myself there's there's a handful of things i'm sure that i'm not doing well as an adult um i may need an adulting 201 if there is one uh joanna you can um come up with a new one if you need to um i do oh, want to go back. go ahead
2: We do, so our 101 is really our animated video series. So much of what we've talked about, we have animated videos on, including those practical things to think about. Uh, And then we have sort of as the next level, our quick guides and checklists, which are really just quick overviews of many of these topics. Uh, And then we have cancerfinances.org, which is sort of a built-in site on triagecancer.org, which covers topics that can impact your finances, and then connect you to financial assistance resources. But what is sort of unique about that tool is once you pick a topic, you start to answer questions about your situation and what you're looking for, and then it tailors the content based on how you've answered those questions so that you get connected to the information that's most relevant to you.
0: Kind of a choose your own adventure, right? That's awesome. We
2: actually do call it that.
0: (laughs) Yes, I'm tracking right along with you. I might
2: be dating myself, but yes, we do call it that.
0: (laughs) Pam has no idea what we're talking about, so Uh, kind of clueless
1: here. There you
0: go. Yeah, (laughs) we'll we'll talk off. We'll talk offline on that. Um, But I do want to touch on one thing too that you you've touched on numerous times, and and I'm I'm speaking to our listeners who um, are guys or listeners who have, um, a spouse, you know, a husband, um, they have animated videos. So I don't know why, but I feel like those were directed towards like someone like me who, you know, maybe it's daunting to read and, and, uh, uh, something as, as maybe, um, not as exciting as financial stuff. Um, But yet an animated video, I'll probably sit and watch and learn more than I would reading it. So guys and wives, uh, make sure that you know there are some tailored videos, I'm assuming, for us guys.
2: There are. And I would say that almost everything that we talk about is actually not cancer specific. Uh, It's really relevant to everybody. Sure. Uh, in terms of accessing insurance or understanding your rights at work or estate planning or even just the financial information. It's relevant for all of us. And so we often encourage people to share the information with other people that they know um, if it's helpful.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: There's lots of information out there to be used.
0: If you know where to go right. and that's what We're And simply trying to do here. Pam is share this information with those folks who need it so desperately. Um, That's why we tell you every week, share this podcast, pass it on. Don't keep it like this little light of mine. I'm going to hold it over here and I'm not going to let it shine. Let people know about these, this information, because I mean, I have not heard of you guys, Joanna, until we we came across you while we were looking for um, a speaker to be on this episode to address this. And I can't thank you guys enough for what you do. Well, we
2: can't thank you all enough for sharing this information. We want people to be able to use this information and the resources that we have available.
0: Absolutely. Uh, before we go into our last segment, if we can give out the the all the important information you know, we've talked about cancerfinances.org. Let's talk about, you know, the uh, Trios cancer website, and maybe if there's anything else that you need to, you know, impart knowledge-wise to them as far as, to our listeners, as far as how to get in touch with you guys.
2: Uh, we do have a legal and financial navigation program, which I haven't mentioned, where if someone wants one-on-one assistance, they can actually contact us if they need help navigating employment or insurance or any of these other topics we've talked about. Uh, And they can contact the program by filling out a form on our website at triagecancer.org and we will then be in touch to schedule a time to talk. Um, And so that is also free and available to
0: people. Wow. You guys, I'm telling you, uh, that one word of free makes all the difference in the world. This information, from triage cancer is all free. Everything, Pam, that we have here at the Survivorship Center, from counseling to nutrition, to wellness classes, to one-on-one with a uh, cancer exercise specialist, to massages. Did we mention that we also have oncology certified massage therapist that works here? Um, all of those things are entirely free. It doesn't get any better now. No, it does not. It does not. It does not. Well, Joanna, uh, our last segment we always like to do because we're sponsored by Pete's Car Smart Kia here locally in town is what we like to call a Pete's powerful moment. And uh, I can only imagine um, after listening to our discussion, you have to probably have an enormous supply of Pete's powerful moments. But would you mind sharing with our listeners just one of your your a powerful moments?
2: I was gonna tell a story about appeals, but since we've talked about appeals, I actually wanna just share something a little more global. We host in-person educational events um, when we're not having a pandemic. And one of those conferences that we offer, we do three a year and we do them in different locations across the country. And even though it's nice to be able to do things online and reach people regardless of where they are, it is very nice to be in person and to make sure that people get the information that they need, who are in the room, and answer everybody's individual questions. But I will say that it was a reminder to me of why we do the work that we do at the end of the day of a conference that we held in Michigan. uh, A young woman who'd been diagnosed with cancer came up to me and She just looked at me and said, you know, I was so stressed out and so anxious when I came in today and I didn't know what to expect and I didn't know what I was going to learn, but I was really encouraged to come to this event by my healthcare professional and it's only halfway through the day and already my anxiety has been washed away because now I know what my options are and I know what to do next. And so just providing that information seems like a relatively small thing that we can do, um, but we know it has a huge impact on people's daily lives.
1: I feel like, and um, we can feel the same way about what we do here, you know?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. It's very powerful to see life change, even in very small increments. And then also sometimes you see life change um, almost waterfall-like, you know, it's, it's, it is, it's so powerful. And that's a, a fantastic story because if you don't know, you don't know, we've talked about that. And then it, it, it seems like in a world of finances and things like this, you don't even know where to go. Um, and that makes it even harder. And so um, thankfully you guys that are listening go to cancer, or excuse me, triagecancer.org. I was getting ahead of myself. And then also cancerfinances.org. The cancerfinances.org website is so uh, powerful for you guys to, to be able to, to utilize that. And then of course, the one-on-one services that y'all have. I just, uh, I can't imagine going through a cancer treatment without having someone like you guys in the corner for me. So um, again, thank you so much uh, for joining us, Joanna, and, and imparting that knowledge to our listeners. So powerful. Um, Pam, I just, it's one of those things where, again, like we say, share the podcast, like the podcast, hit all the buttons. That's what we need everyone to do, because I know people who need to know this. Right. I'm going to share the podcast, and I know that our listeners do as well, right?
1: Yes
0: it is it is it's so wonderful and thankfully we're able to do this podcast and get great incredible informative guests like Joanna uh, as well as all of our guests and so that leads us what to next week right we will be back next week for another episode of beyond the ribbon and we hope you'll join us then Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Make sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media for news and updates. If you'd like more information about the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website, 24survivorship.org. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week.